This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. I am honored today to have Michelle Ludwin. Michelle is a UX leader who is passionate about customers and bringing their customer, their voice to the table. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, so I always try to dig up a little bit of dirt on my guests, uh, and, and I found... I. I found one thing and you told me another. So uh, the first thing is, is you were a minor in decision sciences at Miami University. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so a uh, decision sciences minor is really about business statistics and predictive modeling. How I got to it is because when I went into college, I thought I was gonna be an accountant. <laughs> Decided that was not for me, but I loved math. Yeah. And it was a great fit because it was in the business school and I was having business classes at the time. And honestly, it was so cool to take data sets and then put them in a black box and get predictions based off of it. And it's such a cool minor to have, especially in these days with machine learning and artificial intelligence. I have at least some class background on how to read the data and do predictions. So it's, it's really cool. I mean, my, my college degree in general, journalism, marketing, and that is a very interesting package in general. Yeah, it's like a sweet trifecta of, of uh, majors, but a major and a minor. But yeah. um, in fun fact, at Miami, if you have a journalism major, they make you double major. It's a really oh wow, mm. that is a fun fact. I think it's also uh, important to note that you learned that you did not want to be an accountant while you were still in school and had not graduated, uh, which is which is a huge benefit. Uh, okay. <laughs> the, the second thing is, is that um, you have competed in two triathlons um, that it, uh, I've competed in one and, and um, we can talk about that maybe at a different time, but um, tell us how you got into triathlons. Yeah, so I played sports most of my life and then when you get to college, it's just, it's intramurals, it's not the same and then you graduate college and you're just working most of the time. Yeah. And actually one of my college friends was competing in one in Columbus and my friend and I decided to go watch him. And there was something about staying outside of Ohio stadium and watching them run and compete that I missed the competitiveness yeah. to it. And I am a water child. I love being in water. Swimming is my thing. And so I said, I'm going to try this and see how it goes. And I loved it. I loved yeah. challenging myself and bringing my athleticism to a new place. And so every year it's a challenge and finishing in Ohio Stadium is really cool, running into yeah. the shoe and finishing. Um, but I'm just competitive with myself. So right. it's always about sometimes what's the next best number while still having fun doing it. So I love them. I recommend them. Um, I will do them until I can. Wow. That's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, I won't get into all of it, but but I, I shared with you prior that uh, my first and only triathlon was a sprint triathlon. I uh, got out of water and I was doing pretty well. 
and um, nobody had told me actually how to switch gears to make it easier. And so I made it to uh, around the block to make it as hard as possible and then finish the sprint triathlon on the bike as in the hardest gear and my, my legs were toast on the run. So uh, for anybody who wants to get in triathlons, figure out how to ride a bike, uh, a road bike before you start the triathlon. Oh yeah. And then learn how to swim and run in heat because last year we did it during the hottest part of summer where at 6am the water was 80 degrees. So oh, important things. So, sounds like, sounds like a great challenge, but um, <laughs> you know, when, when it comes to UX, everybody's kind of got a unique story. So how did you get in into user experience? Oh yeah. And my story is just as unique as everyone else. Um, I grew up in a family of parents were accountants, siblings were in the medical field, and then I went and got a degree in marketing journalism <laughs> with that minor in decision sciences. Right. I actually thought I was going to go into advertising. I love branding. There's something about color theory and positioning a brand or product in the typefaces that they use that truly mm. intrigued me. So I was looking for that. And then I think like most seniors in college, you mass apply to all these different places. Mm -hmm. And I was offered a role as a tech writer at a very large, like worldwide tech company. My dad was like, do you take the internship with like no pay? And you're not sure if you'll get a full-time job or the full-time job. So I took the full-time job <laughs> and <laughs> I became a tech writer, never taken any technical writing classes. Yeah. But I was very fortunate that the company was going through its own uplift and learning about user-centric design and design thinking. Mm. So I had on the ground grassroots training and I was spending lunches, learning more about design thinking and attending design town halls. I was fortunate enough to shadow some people in user research and just learned, wow, like I love this and was given the ability to um, train other teams in it. So I switched companies and when I switched companies, I learned very quickly that they really didn't have anyone in UX at the company. Okay. It was this gap. So I actually gave a speech in front of my entire company, which is a few thousand people. And wow about why user experience is so important and the value it brings. Before you had the job. Before I had the job. Mm. And nine months later, uh, my chief strategy officer uh, offered myself and one other person the role to build a UX team from the ground up at the company. And so in my role, I've been doing that for about a year and we are really focused on user-centric design and what that means for our company. And it's a wild ride. Like it's a complete zigzag and my whole, I know my entire career is going to be like that. And that's extremely exciting for me. Yeah, that's awesome. So the moral of that story is to be a great public speaker and then you can have any job you want, right? Yeah. And it's kind of even crazier on that whole story about the speech and stuff because it was very last minute for me to apply and Hmm. I can't believe I did it, but I'm so glad I did. So just, it's always about shooting your shot for sure. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, um, you, you've been user experience for a while now. What do you wish you knew 
back then that you that you know now? There's two things for me mm-hmm. personally, and I've really learned to work on this over the last couple of years. One is picking your battles. And like we like to say, what is the hill that you're willing to die on? Because for me, early on in my career, I wanted to die on every hill. Yeah. I am a very <laughs> pat I'm a very passionate person. And in that I get very stubborn sometimes. Right. <laughs> so I burned myself out. Uh, like a hundred percent burned myself out from it. So now I'm very strategic in what can I drop and be okay with? And I know someone else will eventually pick that up. And then what am I truly passionate about? And we'll fight for forever. Mm. I have learned so much from that and I've become more efficient in that way. I've also become more articulate in my opinion making so I really wish I'd known that earlier on, especially in user experience, because you have to fight for your customer and you have yeah. to fight for what they need. Yeah. Yeah. Being very strategic on what hill you're, you're prepared to die on uh, instead of saying, yes, I'm dying on absolutely everything when that's not necessarily the priority of your department or the company's. And then people also listen to you more when you're really strategic about that. They go, oh, this is a really big deal for the team and this is a really big issue that we have to work on. Okay, I'm gonna listen. Yeah, and, and if you're willing to die on every hill, then most people are not gonna pay attention to you as much. But if you know, if you step up and, and say, all right guys, this is really important to me because uh, you, you're gonna get your voice heard because they know that you, you're, you're passionate about it, but you have a plan. It's not just uh, you know uh, excitement with no movement. Mm-hmm. So yeah. very cool. You know, to to bring it all the way back, what is your definition of UX? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So my definition truly is understanding all the peaks and valleys of a customer and Mm -hmm. building that empathy so that we can truly build an experience that's going to make their lives easier. Because at the end of the day, if you are not building an experience that is making their life easier, you're not doing UX and you're doing yourself a disservice in the process. Hmm. So that is something that I live and die by. Um, It's something I say in job interviews in the past and to other people is if I'm not making someone's life better, I don't want to be in the role. Hmm. That sounds like a pretty good, pretty good mission statement right there. Um, What, uh, what's one common myth about UX that you hear? Every day. You guys just make things pretty. Can you make it pretty? <laughs> uh, I wish I had a jar that I could just like throw a quarter in every time I heard that from someone in general. Uh, what people don't understand is that user experience actually is very analytics driven. And then there's an emotional intelligence piece to it. So we make our experience decision based on data. And mm. then on top of that, what are the feelings that our customers are having? So we have to be able to build those relationships with our customers, have that empathy and truly advocate for them. And then say, here's the data that's supporting it in order to make those experience or design decisions. Um, It's just not, we're going to put this button here and that's why we're going to do it. Um, I spend a lot of time in my profession challenging people saying, well, why are you making that decision? Are you talking to the customer? what's the data that you have to back that up versus yes, I'm just going to move that button. 
Yeah, so you're not just changing the color, the button from red to green because green's your favorite color. That's not how it works? No. Also, for someone that's red, green, colorblind, that's a horrible decision. <laughs> Either way, you have to think about ADA compliance. Right. Very good point. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when it comes to customer experience, how are you creating a seamless connection between UX and CX? Especially in my role right now, I that's something I have to do on a daily basis, especially with my counterpart. We might have people living in certain experiences and own that experience. But then we have to sit up and say, if we change an experience in one, let's say vector, mm -hmm. how does that affect all the other ones? And we also have partners um, outside of our team that own customer experience as well. So partnering with them and making sure that we're walking in lockstep is very important. But we also take the time to challenge our individual designers to say, okay, you wanna make that change there? Do you know what's gonna happen everywhere else? So it's also an education process to have people think about that entire customer experience because you, know, you could have different vectors, but our customer only thinks it's one. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very important thing to remember at the end of the day that your customer might only think of your company as one name, they don't think about all the divisions within a company, right? Yeah. yeah, at the end of the day, their goal is to solve their problem with the least amount of effort possible. And, and, and they don't care if it's finance or legal or claims, it's, it's all about, uh, you, can you sell my problem today, yes or no? Right, and people and customers notice if things are disjointed. They will mm -hmm. say, Oh, well, by habit, when I log into this platform, this is where this one thing is. But when I log in the other one, it's not there. It's on a different page. Why did you guys do that? Yeah. And I yeah. have to be able to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> this is the reason why. Look, with the, look at the data. Exactly. And then we have to go back and say, this is disjointed. How do we fix this? Yeah. Because whether we like it or not, our customers are habitual. That's, so. Yeah, people don't like change, um, and but if you give them peace of mind by explaining maybe why, mm -hmm. uh, they might have a better understanding, at least they feel heard. Um, doesn't necessarily, you're going to say, okay, well, let me move it back because you, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, don't like it, um, but it might, well, might be what's best for everybody. Yeah, it's like any new technology that comes out. Then you think about the iPhone, when you think about AirPods. Yeah. It's new, it's new for us. And so how did we adapt to it? Because it was change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think all the way back to uh, when banking didn't have ATM machines. Mm -hmm. um, people thought ATM machines were going to take over and there wasn't going to be any more tellers. In fact, there was an increase in banks because it created uh, an efficiency uh, for the customer and more people, people showed up uh, to, to have that experience. Yeah, and even today, look at Tesla. They have self-driving cars. I can tell you so many people that sit there and go, I'm gonna keep driving a car because they don't wanna change and let a car drive for them. Yeah. So I'm very interested to watch how a technology like that changes everyone slowly over time. Hmm. Yeah, it's gonna be neat to see. You know, on, on LinkedIn, when I was uh, creeping on and, and find your uh, decision science uh, font from <laughs> Miami, um, 
I, I noticed that you mentioned that you bring the voice of the customer to the table of business decisions. And I think that is um, intriguing. And, and my guess is some of my listeners struggle with that. So how do you go about that? So one tactic that I've heard people do, I have not done it yet, yep. but is you actually leave a seat empty at a meeting and say that this represents your customer and they're at the meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to try that. Haven't done it yet. But honestly, what I do is usually there's a name of a customer or maybe a persona is I mention their name a lot in the meeting. So for example, let's say that we have a customer named Sarah or a persona named Sarah. Mm-hmm. Someone might be talking about how we're going to make an experience change. And I go, well, what would Sarah, what would Sarah like? Let's look back at the persona. Let's look back at some of the interviews that we've done as our customers. Another thing in business decisions is is I'll bring the data all day, every day. I will bring the research that we've done and said, here are the statistics on, you know, 67% of our customers that relate to Sarah don't want this feature. So guess what? We probably shouldn't put it in there because it's a really high percentage at the end of the day. And then also using emotional quotes is really important. So some of my favorite um, stories always come from customers that are right going to walk out the door because that's an area of opportunity to keep them and retain them. So listening to them and bringing quotes to the table about how they're truly feeling gets at people's emotions a little bit and helps mm-hmm. them understand at the end of the day, how we need to change as a product team and listen to those customers. So mm-hmm. and it's very exciting to see when you're working with a new product team, when they start saying the customer's name, it brings me so, such like joy and happiness when I hear yeah. another team member say, okay, so I, I understand we want to make this technical change, but how's this going to affect Sarah? I'm like, yes. Yeah, yes, it's working. <laughs> it's working. Becoming <laughs> customer centric. And that's yeah. so important because at the end of the day, I really want the product teams that I work with to be customer centric and not be solution oriented. Yeah. Because they don't always go together. Yeah, it's it's a hundred percent right. Um, a couple other things that you had so you mentioned um, leaving an empty seat. Other people have done um, where they are asking every step that they take in, in these projects as they get larger. Is does the customer want this? Yeah. And where's the data that the customers want this? Um, and, and but I, I I love those those opportunities to continue to think from the customer's perspective, always, not just when it's convenient for you. Yeah, it's also understanding what's a need versus a want, yeah. because sometimes a customer will say, "I want A," but as you do research, you find out they actually need like B or C, mm. and then providing that to them can be a real eye opener. Yeah. Absolutely. So you've, you've defined UX, you talked about the myths about UX, you talked about how they connect UX with CX. How do you measure UX and how do you monitor it? There's a lot of different ways and I've seen it done a bunch of different ways. So some of the things that I like to lean on is an analytics platform. I think it's really important, especially if you're using products that are digitally launched, uh, tracking how someone navigates through that product, maybe where they're dropping off, uh, other pages that they could be going to, I think is very important to understand the journey that they're taking. 
and what they're potentially looking for. Huge advocate for that. Another thing is, is every company has a customer service division typically. What are the call volumes? And what are the biggest drivers for those call volumes? So if you're working on a product that's supposed to decrease those call volumes, is that actually happening or not? Hmm. That's a secret weapon. I think sometimes the people that they should really go talk to their customer service department because also those reps can give you some direct quotes from your end users yeah. uh, because they're on the phone with them all day. Yeah. Another thing that we use uh, is interviews with our customers. So building out um, what I'll call like a pool of testers, that is very important because you need to build those relationships and then you can get that emotional aspect of measuring. So are they becoming happier? Are they becoming less stressed? Are we easing their pain? That is an important thing to pair with something like an analytics platform. Uh, mm. so those are things in my profession that I've used. And one thing I'm very interested to use in the future is things around machine learning and artificial intelligence. Yeah. I think there's a huge market to predict why customers behave the way that they do. And I think about that every day because um, the story about like P&G when they did research and they put, um, I think it was baby gear and beer in the same aisle. Right. And it's, I think it was diapers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So at my grocery store, the diapers and the chocolate are in the same aisle <laughs> and all the other snacks are five aisles away. And every time I walk down that aisle, I go, this is user research. I know it is. This is some predictive <laughs> analytics because why else would these two be paired together? It doesn't make yeah. sense. <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. But, but the research shows that uh, when they're picking it up, that they're, they, it's a higher probability that they're going to buy chocolate with diapers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or, or, or beer or whatever it is. But that's awesome. You, you talked about machine learning and AI. You know, what trends in technology or innovation that you believe doesn't get enough attention and, and why? Oh, there's a lot. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think about what's been happening since COVID-19 happened. And one of them is, is I'm actually actively looking for a home. And as you know, probably in the Columbus market, it's a hot market. Mm -hmm. Nothing stays on for more than a couple of days at a time. That's right. And what I'm actually seeing more and more from real estate agents is 3D renderings of homes. Yes, the dollhouse version, right? I think it's called. Oh, even more. There, so I did a lot more research and there's a company called Matterport that scans your entire home and you can, from realtor.com, do a virtual tour of the entire home. Wow. You can have the dollhouse, but you can do this too. And so I started thinking about it more because I was starting to use it. And I go, okay, taking a tour of this home takes five minutes. Mm -hmm. If we were not in the situation that we are right now, I would be conversing with my boyfriend, having to call the realtor, schedule a time, go yeah. to the house, spend an hour. I just saved 55 minutes of time if I didn't like the house because I did a virtual walkthrough of it. Right. And what does that mean from like, a technology standpoint, how can mm. we capitalize on moments like that, that make my life easier, might make your life easier. Mm -hmm. um, like if you're virtually walking through something in a retail store, 
I think products like that have a real market to make an impact. And I'm very excited to watch what happens because then I started adding up all the time that I was saving. And then I decided, how am I going to start using this new time? <laughs> yep. So it's something I'm really excited about. The second thing also is if you're in a grocery store and you can take the portable scanner with you while you mm -hmm. grocery shop, please capitalize on it because then you don't have to wait in a grocery line ever again. And you get to scan your own produce and not have to converse with anyone if you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> and there are days you don't want to do that. And yeah. I love it. I use it every week I go to the grocery store. I think every store should have scanners like that because I think it would just make such a better shopping experience if you mm. don't want to have to stand in line and then speak to a sales representative. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, it's amazing when you start paying attention to innovative ideas or technology outside of the industry that you're in, yeah. how much you start picking up. It's like when you, when you buy a white car, all of a sudden you start seeing a ton of white cars that are, that are your brand. Um, and it's, I start trying to pay attention to more innovative things uh, just by listening and, and being aware of the situation. And it's amazing some of these creative things that different industries are doing. So highly recommend uh, just keeping your ears open to um, uh, what's next around the corner for different industries. Oh yeah, it's crazy, especially the virtual experiences. Mm -hmm. When you look at like Disney, they did virtual experiences during quarantine. So you could pretend you were on rides. Wow. Where, I mean, where was that when I was a kid? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a ton of other really cool toys that I wish that I had back in the day. <laughs> so I, I wrap up every uh, podcast with uh, by asking all of my guests uh, two questions. Okay. The first question is, what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And then the second is, if you could leave a note to all the customer service and customer experience professionals, what would it say? So I'll answer the first one. Yep. A book I really recommend is called Extreme Ownership, especially for what is going on in this world right now. It is about two Navy SEALs and what their experiences were like as sharpshooters overseas and then how you apply that now in the real world in business. Hmm. And there are some very good leadership lessons I've learned from that book, especially there's a whole chapter about communicating with people that are not on site with you. And, it, and we are all remote right now. Yeah. And I think about that book and those tactics and understanding what their environment is like to better understand how I can communicate and work remotely. Hmm. So cool. I really recommend that book. That was recommended to me by a friend and I, I read it in like two days. Wow. It was amazing. And then the second thing that I would leave a note on for anyone in UX, CX, customer service is mm -hmm. pay it forward. You know, you're there to make someone's life easier, but just pay it forward. I'm a huge believer in that. So many people have helped me to where I am today and helped me grow as a UX professional and helped me understand customers better and how I can be a better customer in itself. So just pay it forward. 
always be patient. Patience is a huge thing. And when you're patient and really calm with a customer and on top of that, remember things about them, it's just going to make everything better. And they're going to remember that. They're going to talk about it with their friends or their family or other coworkers. That is great advice. Uh, Michelle, how can my listeners connect with you? Yeah, so I am on LinkedIn. Reach out, shoot me a message. Also, if you are in the Together in Digital space, uh, that is an organization I am a part of and active on. So check that out. And I'm more than willing to sit down over a virtual cup of coffee mm-hmm. any time of the day and have a chat and discuss anything from user experience to triathlons. Yeah, very cool. And it's Michelle with two L's and then it's L-U-D-W-I-N, correct? Yeah. Yes. Right. Hey, Michelle, thank you so much for joining me and uh, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.